and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. We're in a series on end times. Uh, last week, we started talking about the tribulation. We're going to pick up where we left off. Now, one of the things we talked about when it comes to the tribulation is this, is it's, it's prophetic. Now, right under 30% of your entire Bible is prophecy. And uh, this moment in history was pro- is prophesied about almost more than any other event. Um, it's talked about a lot. I'll give you some examples here quickly. They'll put them up on the screen. The tribulation is known and prophesied about all throughout Scripture. These are just some of them. In the book of Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35, it's called the day of calamity. In Zephaniah 2 and 1, it's called the day of the Lord's anger. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, it's the wrath that is to come. In Revelations 3 and 10, it's the hour of trial. In Daniel 12 and 1, it's the time of trouble, so much so that the world has never seen. So the, the world has seen trouble. And the tribulation is a time of trouble that surpasses anything the world has seen up to that point. And finally, Jesus said this about the tribulation in Matthew 24, uh, verses 21 through 22. He said it will be a great tribulation, so much so that people's uh, hearts would not be able to sustain them in that season, so the Lord had to shorten the time. Uh, so there's always been tribulation in the earth. I, I mentioned this at the 1130 service last week. When I look at the world and I see the pain that it is in now, I, I will sometimes wonder, like, are we in the tribulation? And kind of have one of those moments where you just look at the strife and the war and the abuse and the pain and the anger and the violence and all of these things. And it's like, are we there? But what we see with the Great Tribulation is it's all of these things magnified. Um, it's, it's all of these things on a scale of which that the human imagination just can't, can't figure it out. Uh, it's awful. Uh, and so this is what we're looking at right now. We said in this series that we believe that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation. Now, there's many, many, literally many in uh, the church uh, world in general that believe that the tribulation will happen with the saints, us, in it. And that we will be raptured after the tribulation. Um, there is no theologian who does not believe the rapture will happen. There is much debate as to when it will happen. Will the church be raptured before or after the tribulation? I lean on the side of before. I'm willing to have the debate and I'm willing to learn. One of the chief signs of humility is teachability. If you can't be taught anything, you're in pride. Uh, So if you're humble, you're teachable. And so I'm I'm, I'm willing to to pay attention to all things doctrinally uh, in scriptures, but I see the, the tribulation happening, and I see the church being raptured before based off of these three primary reasons. There's more, but these three chiefly. They'll put them up on the screens. Number one, uh, put them up on the screens. Yes. Nope. You had it right the first time. Uh, the days of Noah and Lot. Uh, so we've already talked about this at length, but Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the last days. That's found in Matthew 24, verses 27 through 29. In the stories of Noah and Lot, Noah was the flood, Lot was Sodom and Gomorrah. God saved Noah and his family before the tribulation hit the earth. So they're in the ark, then comes seven days of rain. Um, I believe we'll be raptured, then seven years of tribulation. Uh, So out of that, um, Noah is in the ark, then the tribulation comes. With Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, do you remember Abraham's prayer to the Lord is, Father, you will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with the righteous in it. And as long as the righteous are in Sodom and Gomorrah, like God, you are a God of mercy. There were not enough righteous. So what did God do? 
he took the righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed it. And so Lot and his family were led away by the angels, then destruction came. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the last days. Uh, So based off of that scripture, I lean pre-tribulation. Secondly, the thief in the night scriptures. All throughout scripture, when it talks about the rapture, it talks about it'll be like a moment that's like a thief in the night. And we mentioned this, you know, my favorite is probably Luke 17. You see 1 Thessalonians 5 and 4, 2 Peter 3, 10, Matthew 24, Luke 17 and 34. There's more, by the way. Uh, But in Luke 17, you see Jesus talking about it'll be so much like a thief in the night that people are saying peace and safety. And then two people are walking in a field and one is taken and another one remains. Two women are working in a mill. One is taken and one remains. And what we're going to see in the tribulation and we saw it last week, is the Bible tells us in the book of Revelations what the tribulation looks like. And so if, if you are seeing all of these events play out, like the Antichrist is coming into power, there is a religion that is, is competing with Christianity at that time that's overtaking all the other world religions. There is a one world currency. There is like all these other things starting to happen. Um, his, the rapture will be like, okay, it's coming now. Like right now, it's coming. It wouldn't be like a thief in the night. There would be no surprise about it because you're seeing all the signs play out. And so anybody that I've ever talked to who believes the tribulation will happen and then will be raptured has never been able to explain that to me because it's like clearly the Bible shows us all of the signs of the tribulation. So if they all happen and the rapture's coming after it, we'll know right then and there the rapture's about to come any minute now. It would not be a thief in the night. And then thirdly, I just believe at our core we are not destined for wrath. As, as Christians, we are not destined for wrath. Now, a lot of the, the, the people who believe that the, the rapture will happen after the tribulation uh, really look at the American church and they judge us, and I get it. I have had the privilege of going all over the world, and the church globally does not look like the church in America. Um, we are blessed here to live in a land of freedom and safety, the likes of which so many people are not cognitively aware of because they've never been anywhere else. Um, and so out of that, I've been to, I don't know how many nations, that's how many I've been to, I can't count them. Um, and out of that, Christians are persecuted and they are undergoing a tribulation that is beyond the scope of human imagination for me and you to, to, to cooperate with. You give your life to Jesus, there's a celebration. They give their life to Jesus, they're fired, their family discredits them, and their father and mother have, want, want nothing to do with them. Like, they're, they're beaten, uh, they're bruised, they've been murdered. I've met the families of people who've had people martyred for Jesus. All of these kinds of things. And so they, they look at us and like, of course the American church would think there's no tribulation that the church will have to go through. And I do get that argument. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And just because we are Christians does not make us immune from trouble. And I think we've all figured that out. Even here in America, I think we figured out that just because we have Jesus in our life does not mean we don't have trouble. But Jesus said, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. The important thing to understand, though, about the tribulation is this. This is not trouble that's just trouble. This is the wrath of God. When the tribulation comes, this, it begins as, there's two wraths of God. They'll put this up on the screen. You have the active and the passive wrath of God. The active wrath of God is when God steps in and says, enough. You will not cross this boundary any longer. You will not rebel any longer. It stops now. And you see, that's how the book of Revelation ends. It's God steps up with active wrath and he says enough to the Antichrist, enough to Satan, enough to the false prophet, enough to Babylon, which is symbolic of the uh, end time world religion, enough to all of these things. Jesus is Lord and he comes with active wrath. But the Bible uh, shows us that the book of Revelation begins with the passive wrath of God. And the passive wrath of God is when God is coming in and saying, I will not restrain. You want a king? I'll give you a king. And you remember over in Israel, and when you read the Old Testament, they have this moment where they're rebelling against God. And they're like, we want a king like every other nation has a king. And God is like, I'm your king. And they said, yeah, we know, but we want one we can see. God didn't restrain them from their desire. And this is his passive wrath. He lets you do what you want to do. 
And out of that, when God releases his hand off of this place, when he releases everything that is restraining the enemy, uh, when he releases those things and there is nothing restraining Satan or the Antichrist any longer, I know we have seen chaos and tribulation, but when that happens, we will see it on a scale of which uh, the world has never seen before. And we see this happen in, in the book of Thessalonians. So let's go over there and look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll look at verse number 1 and 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, the church at Thessalonica was concerned that Jesus had already come, uh, and they missed it. And the reason why is the church at Thessalonica was being persecuted, and it was really bad persecution. And they thought, are we, are we in the tribulation? And then somebody wrote them a letter pretending to be Paul, saying that they had missed the return of the Lord. And so they're freaking out. And so they write to Paul and they tell him this. And Paul writes another letter to him called 2 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, he had already written to them. And you can go back and read it in chapter 5. He said, God's going to save you from the wrath to come. And so then they're in a, a moment of tribulation with this persecution. They're like, we're in the wrath. And then they get this letter that's like, you missed the return of the Lord. And they're like, oh my gosh. And so they write this to Paul. Paul writes the letter of 2 Thessalonians to him. And watch what he says here in, in chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, now we request you, brethren, with the regarding of the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure. Or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or letters as if it is from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He's saying like, you didn't miss the coming of the Lord. You're, you're, you're okay. You did not miss it. I can remember as a kid, like when all the left behind stuff came out, I, I came home after a Sunday morning service and like I'm, I'm, we had Sunday night service at the time and I, I walked in my parents' room and I saw their clothes laid out on the bed. I started to cry. I'm like, I missed the rapture. Like I, I just saw their clothes laid out. I'm like, they're gone. Uh, but they had just laid out the clothes for the night. But anyway. I can relate. And he's like, you didn't miss it. Uh, and so in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy, which is the great falling away. So many people who have named the name of the Lord of Christ walking away from Christ. I know we talk about that this will all end with like a great revival. It actually happens during the tribulation. Before the tribulation, you'll see a lot of what you're seeing now, the birthing pains. And this is one of the things I want to show you in this, is to just show you how we're in the end times. You will see many people walk away from their faith. That was the faith of my father. That was the faith of my mother. That doesn't have any application to me right now. What is that? That's the apostasy. That's it's people walking away from the faith. You will see churches begin to, to say things like you hear churches say. Like, I know it says this in God's word, but that's not what we believe anymore. And all of those things. There will be a falling away. And then the rapture will come and then the tribulation. And in the tribulation, we're going to see a great revival, which I'll show you at the end of this. But there's an apostasy first. And he says that the apostasy will come. The man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, will be revealed, who is the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. So that's one thing that will happen before the end times can be complete is the, the temple will be rebuilt for the third time. Uh, twice it's been torn down. For, it'll be rebuilt a third and final time. And when that temple is rebuilt for the third time, you know the end times is coming. I believe it'll be rebuilt during the tribulation. Uh, but out of that, a big sign of the end times is that temple being rebuilt. So it keeps going here, displaying himself to be his God. Do you not remember, watch this, he says, like, I, I talked to you about these things, I taught you about end times. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Watch this in verse 6. And you know what restrains him now. Notice there is something restraining him. You know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only, watch this, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way 
verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed. So do you see there is something restraining evil in the earth and has been ever since that moment? And that was, that was hundreds of years ago. He said the spirit of Antichrist has always been in the earth. And you see it pop up in people. Uh, Hitler is a primary example of that. Uh, but you see the spirit of Antichrist in the world. In fact, John said there are many Antichrists. It's just anti-God, people of lawlessness. And somebody says, well, what does that mean, lawlessness? It's saying, like, I understand God has laws. They don't apply to me. They're antiquated. They're outdated. There's a new way. No one from church, no one from anything having to do with the word of God will tell me what to do. It's a man of lawlessness. It's not man's laws. It's God's. And he will have nothing to do with them. And so out of that, uh, uh, Paul here is saying that there is something restraining him. That there is a restraining force in the earth. That as long as it's there, he cannot be revealed. But when it's taken away, he will step forth. And I believe what has been restraining that from taking forth in the earth is the church with the Holy Spirit in them. And that out of that, as long as we're here with the believer's authority, as long as we're here with the mighty name of Jesus, as long as we are here with the blood of Jesus that been, can be proclaimed out of our mouth, we can stop the rot and we can slow it down. Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. You remember when Jesus said that? In the book of Matthew, he said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, we live in a country that has refrigeration, but I have been to countries that did not have refrigeration. And you know what they do with the meat to preserve it and to slow the rot? They, they salt it to preserve that meat as long as it can. It doesn't stop it completely, but it slows the rot down. You take the salt away from it, though, and the rot speeds up. We are restraining force. I know we see rot, but we're slowing it. What we see in the world right now is with the church in it. You take the church out of it. And what you will see is there is nothing that will stop the rot any longer. And as soon as that force that is restraining, slowing it down, restraining it from going, as soon as it is removed, it's like taking the dog off the leash. Uh, and, and that thing that was holding it back is not holding it back any longer and he will be revealed. Uh, and so this is the Antichrist. As soon as the church is raptured, I believe it's the kicking point off for the tribulation. And out of that, the Antichrist comes into power because of all the chaos that we talked about last week comes in the earth when that event happens. Um, and so if you missed last week's message, go listen to it. Because what we talked about is in the book of Revelations, you see a whole bunch of chaos, the likes of which we've never seen before. When that chaos comes, control will come next. And then after control comes war. Chaos, control, war. When the chaos comes, the restraining force of evil uh, is gone off the earth. The Antichrist is able to come into power and he equals the control. Watch this in verse number uh, 7. Let's read it again. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed and the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. Amen, Jesus. And bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and wonders, and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth so as to be saved. So notice... When the church is removed from the earth, that which was restraining, the salt is removed, the earth begins the rot, and the Antichrist comes into power. Now last week we ended with talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet. Let's kind of circle back and look at what we saw about the Antichrist. The Bible tells us many things about him. Number one, he's filled with Satan and empowered by him. We just read that in Thessalonians, um, that Satan is backing him. And putting him into power. We looked at that last week where Jesus was taken up by Satan and said, Satan told him, the kingdoms of the world and the power thereof them, I will give them to you. Jesus said no. The Antichrist, he is Antichrist. He is not like him. He will say yes. And he will be given power the likes of which no political leader has ever seen. Now, we have seen political leaders who have come up um, throughout the course of history who have captivated a nation and been able to bring unity. Uh, we see a lot of disunity in the world right now that no one trusts their political leaders. 
uh, out of that, when this chaos happens in the earth, they're going to be looking for someone who can tell them what to do. When this happens, what do we do? It, you know, like when COVID happened, what do we do? Someone tell us what to do. And now you have an organization like the World Health Organization that comes and every nation adopts its policies. The same kind of thing will play out with the Antichrist. With all this chaos in the earth, the whole world's going to be asking what to do. And this guy's going to step up. Satan's going to point to him and, and out of that, give him influence. And he's like, I'll tell you what to do. And he'll have wisdom and he'll have answers and combine that with some type of spiritual authority that's coming from the enemy. He will captivate the world. And you know what he'll have? He'll have people that will listen to him. And when this happens, you'll have a 10-nation coalition. Uh, when you hear of like the world will end with a one-world government, it's in these scriptures that people start to see this out of. What I see from scripture when I read it is it's not like he's the one ruler over the whole world. Uh, he rules directly over 10 nations. 10 nations will come together and say, okay, we'll, we'll adopt your ways. 10 nations will come together and say, we'll, we'll have you as our leader. Uh, and so you'll see unity among nations begin to form. A lot of times things unite over what they hate, not just over what they love. And we're starting to see some unity over things that people hate. He will come in and take advantage of that and build a 10-nation coalition, and then have influence over every nation. So because of this, this power that he's getting from this 10-nation coalition, it will have influence over all the earth. Now somebody says, well, how does that work? Well, think about America. America is so powerful currently. Now you take 60% of it away through a rapture. Uh, it's it's going to have its own set of problems, and it won't be the world's policeman anymore. Uh, and so out of that, though, America right now has enough power where it has influence over the whole world. Um, you know, there are things that are not happening in the earth today because America is there. And people are afraid, well, like if we really did what we wanted to do to this country or to this nation, whether it's Ukraine or whatever else, then America would step in. Well, when America's not there to step in, and actually there's a coalition of nations that is more powerful, it'll have control over the world in the same sense and greater than even what we see other nations like America have as they are currently constructed. Does that make sense? So he will have influence over every nation, but he'll have a direct coalition of ten nations, and you see the verses for that. To top it off, he'll be backed by a false prophet. There'll be a false prophet, we talked about him last week, who comes with spiritual authority and says, yep, that's actually the guy. And everyone who follows this religion, follow him. If you follow this religion, get behind him. Which is one of the things that has, uh, helps him get control in every nation is because in every nation, this guy's followers are already there. And so out of this... He, the false prophet, will step up with spiritual authority and say, listen to this guy. He's got the answers. He's actually the one we need to trust. And so out of that, you'll see this oneness begin to form with someone who's having direct control. Where there's chaos, there's opportunity. Where there's opportunity, there is power that begins to be seized. He will fill the gap. And out of that, as you see this play out in the book of Revelations, it's honestly fascinating. One of the things that he will begin to control is the monetary system. This is the way he will control things is with money. Uh, so you can imagine if the church is raptured, uh, the chaos that that means financially. So how do we then police things? How do we then control things? How do we then buy or sell things? That type of thing. Uh, so out of that, he will introduce a way to buy or sell. And we actually read about that, and are we will today in the book of Revelations. Let's go over there and look at it. Revelations chapter 13 and verse number 16. They'll put it up on the screens, but I'd encourage you to look at it in your scriptures as well. In Revelation chapter 16, or 13 and verse 16, uh, we see something called the mark of the beast. And people wonder about this all the time. It's going to be fun talking about it. Um, Revelations 13, 16. He, he being the false prophet uh, who's backing the Antichrist, causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free man and the slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number, watch this, it's, it's going to clue you in onto what it is. The number is that of man. His number is 666, or 666. Uh, six is the number of man. Uh, seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of God. So on seven days, you have a, a work week of seven days. Um, you have seven ends in God. Six, man is working. Six is the number of man. Six, 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 three is wholeness or trinity, the best. So six, six, six is simply the best man can do. People are going to look at this and say, that's the best man can do. Uh, this is pointed to all throughout scripture. Goliath, that's the best man. What is Goliath? He's the best man. He's six cubits tall, spear weighs six shekels, and has six pieces of armor. Nebuchadnezzar, I'll make a statue because I'm the best man. People will worship me everywhere. Okay, great. Um, he's six, 60 cubits tall. That's a misprint. 60 cubits tall, six cubits wide, and six instruments. Uh, so here you have Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he is building a statue, 666. Goliath, 666. The best man can offer. The best man can give. And so what is the mark of the beast? It's the best of man. And it controls the, the ability to buy or sell for everyone in the whole world. Now this is interesting. I have preached for, you know, 21 years now. And when I first started studying end times and, and, you know, 20 years ago, I'm looking at these things and I'm like, how is that going to happen? Because I would go all over. Like in my, my 20s, I especially went to Africa, been all over Africa, helped set up Bible schools, churches, by, you know, all kinds of stuff, orphanages, wells, you name it. And one of the things I saw is like, how do you get what's in one nation and all of these other nations? How can one system of government get to all of these systems in government? And then I saw when COVID happened, oh. That all of a sudden there's an event where within the span of a year, because I travel a lot. I know a lot of people don't travel. I love the world and I believe we're called to go into it. And I believe I'm called to help missionaries, which means I go. And when I started traveling again um, during and after COVID, um, I, I saw a system of control that I never would have believed would have existed unless I saw it. That you have one event that is overtaking the world, that everyone is asking, what do we do? And an organization rises up that was already there. It was already there. But this chaos gave it more control. And now they create system and policies that every single nation, rich, poor, every single nation begins to adopt as their law. That you cannot come in this nation unless you have A, B, or C. You cannot exit the nation until you have A, B, or C. I can remember taking my son, my youngest, um, Benjamin, uh, we were going to um, see the Pelicans play in New Orleans, and this was right kind of in the throes of all that. They just opened it up where you could come and, like, with, you know, social distancing, watch the Pelicans play. And um, out of that, I, I love, uh, you know, moments like that. And, in fact, going there tomorrow to see Luka Donick play, uh, Zion. Uh, so, um, anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I have these traditions with my family that we go and do. And we had a dinner reservation at a place I always ate dinner at. And um, they emailed me saying, like, okay, we saw you made a reservation for two. We wanted to make sure it wasn't a child. And that interested me because it was a child. And they said, well, if it is a child and they're under this age, which he was, uh, he will not be able to come in to the restaurant because he would not have had a chance to be vaccinated because at that time you couldn't be vaccinated past a certain age. And then I'm like, huh, so we had to cancel the reservation. And then I was going into a supermarket, and they're like, he can't come in yet. I'm like, well, why? He's because he's younger than this age. Now, we're talking about buying and selling food. Well, he can't come in. Well, why? Because, you know, he's too young. He couldn't have been vaccinated yet, and you can't come in unless you're vaccinated. Now, people took that as like, it's the mark of the beast. Let me help you. It's not. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Um, the European Union is not the Ten Nation Coalition. Um, it's all testing. It's all the enemy testing to see how far can I push it? 
It's the birthing pain before the tribulation. And we saw something that literally every nation in the world, based off of one event that came up overnight, all of a sudden took precedent over everyone's laws, and they all became unified to the same thing. It blew my mind. And I saw out of it, oh, this is how it's going to be in the tribulation. That when this happens, the chaos happens, this guy will come into power and based off of his influence with this 10-nation coalition and because of the laws he's illustrating and working out there, those laws will influence the rest of the world. And out of that, they will say, unless this happens, you can't buy or sell. Now, this is interesting. It's a mark, he says, on the right hand or on the forehead. Now, I, I want to be clear with this. You will not be able to accidentally take the mark of the beast. I, <laughs> I had so many people email me or write me. It's like, I got vaccinated. Is that the mark of the beast? I didn't need to. Like, oh, no. Like, you're fine. Okay? Like, you're, you're so fine. Uh, so you will not be able to accidentally take the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast, when you look it up, it's not something in you. It's something on you that it's on a hand or on your face in a way that based off of what's on you allows you to buy or sell. Now, I'm like, how is that gonna work? Years ago, I'm like, how is that gonna work? And then I went on a mission trip to China um, with my daughter in 2018. And we're going into China, seeing this beautiful country that God loves, and we're walking through transitioning from Hong Kong, uh, which operates differently than mainland China for now, uh, out of that, we're transitioning from Hong Kong into mainland China. And as we're crossing the border, it's not a passport they want. You know what they wanted? My hands and my face. You got to scan your hands and scan your face. And once they get that, it's like, oh, yeah, you can enter. Um, Europe in 2025 is passing the same thing. You'll not be able to enter into this country unless you give us uh, your hands and your face. Uh, right now, Amazon has technology. I don't know if you've seen it at like Whole Foods or some of these other places. You can pay with your palm. Uh, forget the card. You don't even need the card anymore. Um, you know, out of that, literally, I was in uh, the airport the other day. Um, I forget which one. I want to. It wasn't Atlanta. It's Dallas. I was in Dallas the other day, and they have these markets where you can go in. And out of that, you just scan that you're going in your Amazon card or Amazon account, and you walk in. You don't, there's no cash registers. You just shop and walk out because it can scan your face and link it up to your account, even if you didn't sign up for it. <laughs> yes. What is this? The Bible is coming alive right before your eyes. Like none of these things could happen 10 years ago. And I don't know if we're in the end times, but here's what I do know. We are closer to the end times than anybody who has ever lived on the planet before. And we're seeing things that before even 20 years ago, I'd look at and be like, how is that going to work? Every nation. How is that going to work with your hands and your face? You know, all of these other types of things. And the Antichrist is going to invent, uh, whether it's a chip that you put on you or some type of mark that you put on you. It's like, well, what you've already been familiar with. Here's the thing you need to understand. When it happens, it will not appear as evil. He disguises himself as an angel of light. But when he, So you're seeing all these things work, and it's like, man, technology is so cool. Why? 666. It's the best of man. It's like, it's so cool. And then he flips it into, well, actually, though, if you want to use this cool thing, you've got to submit to me. Which will make it where you cannot accidentally take the mark of the beast. And so people ask me this question, can you unknowingly take the mark of the beast? No. Um, somebody says, well, why do you say that? Revelations 14 and verse 8 talks about it. And another angel, uh, a second one, followed him saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Now, you'll see when you read Revelations, because you're reading it right, everyone is reading Revelations, because uh, that's what we're studying. Babylon, somebody says, well, what is Babylon in Scripture? It is the false religion um, that the Antichrist and the false prophet are spreading, and it's also their system of operating in government. And so Babylon was the best man could do. We just talked about Nebuchadnezzar and his statue. 
Uh, it's the best man can do, and it's symbolic of religion, and it's symbolic of the economic system that man is establishing. Both are of the man, and they're empowered by Satan. None of them are godly. And it will fall. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, watch this, worships the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire, brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." Uh, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those, watch this, who worship the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Uh, what this is basically saying is, is that when you receive the mark of the beast, you're giving submission over to the Antichrist and to his Babylonian system of religion and politics. And it's this mix of control that is coming, and you are yielding to it. And when you yield to it, you will know what you're doing. You cannot accidentally take this mark. <laughs> so you're, don't worry about that. I don't even believe if you're a Christian right now, you'll have the opportunity to take it, because I believe this thing comes in the tribulation, and I believe you'll be raptured out of it. If I'm wrong, though, if I'm wrong and we go through the tribulation, I will get up and I will tell you, do not take that. Whatever you do, do not take that. I promise you, I'll pastor you through it. I'm not going to leave you without a shepherd. I promise you that. Uh, so, but out of that, this is what the mark is. It's something that's a mixture of that technology, but he has control of it. And you can't use it unless you yield to me. And if you yield to me, then you can have this mark and it'll give you the right to buy or sell. Now, somebody says, well, why would you do that? Well, I'll tell you why you would do that. If you can't buy or sell, if you got a family, he will manipulate all power he can get to make you bow your knee to him. Um, and once again, somebody says, could control like that come and people take it? You tell me. What have we already seen with a, a virus that came? Um, in the book of Revelations, we looked at this last week, there's a virus that's going to hit this earth, pestilence that will hit this earth that kills one-fourth of the world. Now, if we had COVID do what it did and we saw a measure of control kick in, what do you think will happen with a virus that wipes out one-fourth of the world's population? And he will capitalize on that control to say, if you want to operate, you got to do it this way. And it'll be his. And so during this time, though, uh, there will be a lot of people. This is, will be the greatest revival in the history of the world. There will be a lot of people who receive Jesus Christ. Uh, because this message that we're proclaiming and this message that we're talking about and all of these things, when these places are empty on Sunday mornings and people are driving by, they'll know it was the church that got raptured. And out of that, they will say, what they were saying the whole time is truth. And they will return to Jesus. But it's not just all the stuff that is left behind from the Bibles and the books and the empty churches and all of those things. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelations, you will have the preaching of the 144,000. It'll be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Somebody says, well, what in the world does that look like? Imagine the Apostle Paul times 144,000. Uh, it'll be people who know the Old Testament like the back of their hand, but they see Jesus as the Messiah. They're anointed with the Holy Spirit, and it's going to go all over the world. Uh, you see that in Revelation 7, verse 2 and 4. Then the two witnesses. You see them mentioned in Revelations 11. There's going to be two people sent back to the earth that are going to be prophets who stand in Jerusalem and prophesy day and night for over a year. They're going to proclaim the goodness of God, and all the cameras, smartphones, all of these things will be on these men. And people all over the world will hear and see their testimony. Some people think it's Elijah, because it's appointed every man wants unto die. Elijah was raptured. He never died. They think he's coming back. Some people think it's Enoch. Some people think it's Moses. The Bible does not say. But what we do know is these two guys are going to be bad to the bone spiritually um, and out of that the whole world will pay attention to them and they'll be proclaiming the wonderful message of Jesus 
Thirdly, there would be an angel that declares the gospel. Uh, now, it could be a literal angel. We don't know. The, angel, the word angel is also interpreted messenger. A lot of people think maybe it's a satellite or something like that that's beaming the gospel into all these places. But out of that, uh, the gospel will be preached. So massive revival. There'll be a whole lot of people who make a decision, I'll not take that mark. I will not take the mark of the beast. They will not bow their knee to it. And when he has this control, it's like, you don't want to do what I want you to do? Here comes war. And he makes war against the Christians. We'll see this here. That's the first war he makes. Next screen. He makes war against the Christians. And after these things, behold, I looked, and a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing, glory and wisdom and power and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Watch this. Then one of the elders answered, saying unto me, Who are these that are clothed with white robes? Who are they, and where did they come from? I said unto him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are in the throne of God, and they serve him all day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water and life, and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. The tribulation saints, uh, they're going to have it rough. If you come to Christ during the tribulation, and millions upon millions will, they'll not take the mark of the beast. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelations that they will be beheaded and they will not be able to buy or sell. And so somebody thinks, well, I'll just wait until the tribulation to make a decision for Jesus. Let's just see if all this plays out. Trust me, that's not sound logic. You want to make a decision for Jesus now. And if I am wrong and the tribulation happens and we haven't been raptured yet, that will be us. And we will be forced with a government to comply to that we will not comply to. And something along that line that says we will not bow our knee. But here's what I'm here to tell you. I don't believe we will, but I will count it an honor to be martyred for the Lord Jesus. But I will never surrender my life to the beast or allow you to do it either. He makes war against everyone who won't do things the way he wants. You don't want to do what I want you to do? Here's war. You don't want to submit to me? I'm going to make you submit to me. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And so out of that, uh, we see him make war against the church. But lastly, you see him make war against Israel. And this is why all of this is so fascinating to people right now. Is you've got a small part of the earth. It's literally smaller than the state of New Jersey. And somehow the eyes of the world are always on it. You got all these nations you could look at. You got all these things you could look at. How does everything always come back to it? I'll tell you why. In Revelations, since you're reading it, you're going to read in Revelations chapter 12 that there was a great dragon who stood over a woman who was pregnant, and he hated her. He hated her. This dragon hated her. And he wanted to kill her baby, but he couldn't do it. He gave birth, she gave birth to a son. He could not kill the son. So because he couldn't kill the son, he persecuted the woman as long as she was alive. The son is Jesus. The woman is Israel. The dragon is Satan. As soon as she was pregnant with Jesus, she gave birth. Herod put out an order, kill all the babies, trying to kill Jesus. He could not kill Jesus. He could not take his life. And so from that moment till then, he has persecuted the woman. He has persecuted Israel. 
And out of that, what you see is from that time till then, from Hitler and what the Nazis did and everything going on in the world right now and all that you've seen before this and all the, the stories and all those things, I'm telling you it's because the devil hates Israel. Why? Jesus is Jewish. It's not that he was. He is. And all of this tracks all the way back to Abraham. God loves the world, but he had a covenant with Abraham because Abraham was a willing to obey him when the rest of the world would not. He left his family. He began a family with a covenant from God. He was willing to offer his son Isaac so that God could offer his son Jesus because you can't reap a harvest where there has been no seed. Isaac is the beginning point of the nation of Israel. Israel is not a place. It is a people. God took Jacob and he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. The children of Israel are traced back all the way to Abraham. Abraham had another son. His name was Ishmael. Out of Ishmael, you got Islam. Out of Isaac, you got Judaism. Out of Judaism, you got Christianity. Ishmael was about to die in the desert with his mom crying. God said, I heard the cry of your son. He loves Ishmael. God loved Ishmael. God loves the Palestinians. God loves the Chinese. God loves the Egyptians. He could have let Ishmael die. He did not let him die. Why? Because God loves the whole world. And somebody says, well, there are bad people. Yes, but the essence of all things evil is to take bad people and make them be identified with the whole people. It is the nature of the enemy to take bad people and make people think that's the whole of everyone. It's not. It's a lie. Out of this, what we see is God's heart is he loves Ishmael. He has a covenant with Isaac. And at the end of all of this, you see Satan take this ten-nation coalition. He's like, you know how this is going to end? It's going to end with death to Israel. Not stop them. Kill them. Death to every one of them. And he's going to find nations that are actually combined to do it. And they will be pointed towards that nation. And at that moment, the Lord Jesus is going to come back. When they gather up all of these nations together, you can read about it in Ezekiel 38 and verse 39. You can read about it in Revelation 16. But when they come up all in this place, you see the Lord Jesus say, enough with passive wrath, I'm coming with active wrath. And when that happens, watch this in Revelation chapter 16. Here's how it all plays out. You know how it all ends? I'm about to show you how it ends. Revelation 16. They'll put it up. Verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, uh, and now the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet, un three unclean spirits like frogs. Watch this. For they are spirits of demons performing signs and wonders and go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for war against the, the, the great day of God and the Almighty. This is talking about Armageddon. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked when men see him and not be in his shame. Watch this in verse 16. And they gather them together in the place which in the Hebrew is called Armageddon. And when they gather against Israel, all these nations gather against Israel, you're going to see Jesus come. And in Revelations 19, here's how it ends. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and wages war. Verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his heads are many crowns. He has the name written on him which no one knows except himself. Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven are clothed with fine linen. That's me and you. We're coming back with them. White and clean, we're following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword so he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce with the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name that is written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back. The Son of the living God is coming back. He came the first time, but He's coming again the second time. 
I know there's a lot of prophecy that was fulfilled with his first coming, but there are eight times more prophecies about his second coming. And let me tell you the difference. At his first coming, watch this. At his first coming, he came in obscurity. No one knew he came. With his second coming, the eyes of the whole world will be on the king. He's going to literally stand on the Mount of Olives, and when he stands on it, he's going to split them in two. He came in obscurity the first time. He will come with the eyes of the whole world. We'll see him the second. He came to an inn in a manger and they didn't have any room for him the first time. He came as, as, a, as, as a child born into poverty. He was not born to a king. He was born to a virgin and a carpenter. They had no room for him. And why? He came to serve the world. He came to love the world. But when he comes back the second time, he is coming back in magnificence. He is coming in magnificence and glory. He came as a defenseless baby the first time, but he will come as a warrior the second. They crowned him with a crown of thorns the first time and said, if you are the son of God, get off this cross. They mocked him as king, the king of the Jews. They mocked him as the king of the Jews. But when he comes back the second time, he will be crowned with the crown of every king from every tribe and he will reign forever as king of kings and lord of lords. And that's why we say all hell King Jesus. You want to know how it ends? That's how it ends right there. Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus ruling and reigning over every nation, every tribe, every tongue. The whole world seeing his glory and the whole world having an opportunity to call upon his name. Amen. All hell King Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you that you have a name above every other name, a power that is above every other power. And Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. That, Father, you equip us for this hour. You equip us for this time. You equip us for this season. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for it. I'm going to ask the campus pastors to come. Luke, you can come while I'm praying. You'll close out service that way. We probably don't have enough time to worship. But, Father, I thank you that for our church, you equip us for this season and for this hour. I thank you, Father, that we all stand unafraid and unintimidated with the power of the Holy Spirit on us. I thank you for every single campus to have healings and miracles and signs and wonders that wake up a generation to the power of a living God. Father, I thank you our speech and our preaching will not be with just enticing words of man's wisdom, but it will be filled with demonstration and the power of God. May you be glorified, Father. And may you make yourself real forever and ever in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.